Welcome to the Lady Preacher Podcast, a podcast for the progressive Christian. In this space, you are welcome exactly as you are. Whether you are full of faith or full of doubt, feeling empty or full, questioning or wondering, there is space for you here. Come with an open heart and an open mind. We pray this fills your well today as you hear about an all-loving God, an embodied Christ, and an ever-moving spirit. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Lady Preacher Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Beebe, and I am so grateful that you are here. We have been in this series about embodying our faith, so what it means to practice and and live out what we believe. And today we have on Professor Sherry Warren, who is currently the Minister for Gender Justice um, for the United Church of Christ National Staff. She does a lot on behalf of advocacy and teaching and really working with folks to think about how we can use our faith in social justice and social action and um, really doing the nitty gritty work of action with our faith, uh, particularly in the realm of gender related justice issues. One of the things I love that Sherry said, um, as I was, you know, kind of researching and looking up what she's about, she said, by walking in the footsteps of Jesus, I believe we can heal our hurting world. And I a hundred percent agree with that. When we follow in the pathway that Jesus set before us, we can really and truly do the healing work that he did. We can pick up that torch where he left it off and, and keep going with his ministry. I want to be sure to remind you before we dive into this interview that Lent is almost upon us. And if you are looking for a devotional to journey with you through the season of Lent, you can find that at our website, dancingpastor.org. It's also in the show notes with a direct link. So I encourage you to go grab one of those. Um, Also, be sure to sign up for our weekly devotional email. It's free. It goes out every Monday. I promise not to spam you because nobody loves a full email inbox. So um, be sure to sign up for that if you want to start your week off with a little reflection and grounding in your faith. To tell you a little bit more about Sherry Warren, who's here with us today, she holds a PhD in social work a graduate certificate in women, gender, and sexuality studies from the University of Kansas, um, where she also earned a BA and an MSW. She is a facilitator of Our Whole Lives, which if you haven't heard of, it's amazing. It's a comprehensive sexuality education and faith program that churches can implement. um, It was started by the United Church of Christ, as well as um, Unitarian Universalists. And so there's a a faith component that can go with it or not go with it, but it's really focused on the way sexuality is expressed in our whole lives. And uh, I participated in it as a teen and I'm now um, a facilitator myself. I'm certified to teach it, um, though I haven't done so in a long time. Um, But it's it's just a really incredible program. I know for me, one of the things that stands out in my memory being a teenager is the, the practice of saying what you want to be able to say in the moment. So when someone's trying to pressure you to do something you don't want to do, practicing how to say, you know what? No. Or like dispelling some of the myths around it or thinking about how our faith values, whatever they are for yourself, 
um, can influence your decisions around sexuality or just relationships in general. So I highly recommend looking into the Our Whole Lives program if you haven't heard of it before. It's also referred to as Howl. Okay, my friends, why don't we dive in? But of course, before we do, I invite you into a spirit of prayer. If you'd like to soften your shoulders, relax your jaw, maybe lengthen through your spine and take a few deep breaths. God, our creator, we thank you for this day, for the breath in our lungs, for the length in our spine, and just for the ability to grow in our faith, to deepen our faith, to think about what it means to live it out in the world. We pray, of course, for peace, for comfort. We pray especially, God, for the people in Syria and Turkey who have just been devastated by this earthquake. We lift them up in our hearts to you. We pray for all those who are struggling and suffering in our world right now. We give you thanks for the gift of Black history and Black joy and uh, just all the all the incredible people within history who have taught us so much, who have led us forward on this path towards peace and justice and grace. God, I ask that you bless those who are listening today. May your love be within them and around them and among them. And allow us to feel your presence wherever we go. God, we ask that you open our hearts, open our minds, and fill our well with your love today and every day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, my friends, I give you Professor Sherry Warren, Minister for Gender and Justice. Hi, Sherry. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Kelsey. I am thrilled to be here. Me too. I, well, I'm thrilled that you are here, but I'm also thrilled to be here. (laughs) So for folks who don't know who you are, can you give us a little intro into you? What, what do you love? Um, What do you do? Give us a little bit of your location in the world. Let's see. Well, I am a born and raised Kansan and a Jayhawk. And I, until about six and a half years ago, had only ever lived in Kansas my whole life. Been lots of places, but had never actually lived anywhere other than Northeast Kansas. And I was finishing my doctorate in social welfare and took a faculty position in Northeast Iowa where I was for three years and then moved to a state university in Wisconsin and was in Northeast Wisconsin. And then I met the love of my life and he had a call to ministry in Akron, Ohio. So now I live in Northeast Ohio. So apparently I can only live in the Northeast part of any geopolitical container of a state or nation. (laughs) And I love working for the United Church of Christ National Ministries. It has been absolutely fascinating. And I get to have contact with so many wonderful people. One of the reasons I 
was interested in this work is as a faculty member, my poor students worked so hard and had so many things on their plates that they really were never actually able to do much advocacy or activism. And I wanted to work with people who were at a place in their lives who actually could do some of that work. And this newly created position with the United Church of Christ uh, has really helped me lean into that Mm, and start to work with folks who really are um, in a place in their journeys where they have the time and energy to be able to um, push back against oppressive policies, forces, institutions to be able to try to make our world more just. And I'm loving it. I love that. Can you say more about what the position is? Like, what is, what's your focus work? And I'd be curious too, if you want to tie in like the doctoral work that you did and um, the teaching that you did, how that kind of ties into this work that you do now. Absolutely. So um, I was at a place in my life where I had been doing quite a bit of work with congregations and within the Unitarian Universalist and the United Church of Christ world. And I kind of wanted to go to seminary, but I also kind of wanted to have a doctorate. And I started looking at what my options were given where I was geographically, as well as where I was in my life. And There were not many distance programs for seminary at that time. And having a younger child, I really, I couldn't pick up and move. And there was a doctoral program in social welfare, which is what my master's was in, right next door. So I decided to go that route. Sometimes I still, I'm still trying to figure out if the master's of divinity is in my future. We'll see. But a lot of my doctoral work had to do with spirituality and social work practice. I was mentored by Dr. Edward Kanda, who is one of the people credited in social work academia for creating that niche, really, when he did his doctoral work. He created the spirit, the Society for Spirituality in Social Work Practice. I'm sorry, it might just be in social work. And... Um, was such a fantastic mentor to me. I really wanted to be able to address how people's spiritual lives affect the rest of their existence and how for many people having a strong spiritual connection could be a strength. Something that social work practice is supposed to help with is um, helping people find what strengths are um they already have and what kind of institutions they can rely on to continue to help them in their growth and to reach whatever their goals are. So I did quite a bit of work around that and I ended up eventually doing my dissertation work on how we educate people for international social work which of course has a great deal to do with understanding various cultures and human diversity and how do we actually teach that. And so within that diversity is spiritual diversity, which is one of the areas that I find social workers are seldom educated on in, in their academic settings. So I end up actually doing some 
workshops online and in person on spirituality and social work practice and how to start having conversations with people about spirituality. Uh, So many social workers work in agencies that benefit from public dollars and they are told they can't have those conversations. And when we ignore that in the lives of the folks that we're working with, we are in complete denial of what might be an incredibly important aspect of their identity, as well as something that maybe has harmed them, but hopefully has helped them. So people are probably scratching their heads and going, what does that have to do with women's ministry? Okay. So I also got a graduate certificate while I was working on my PhD in women, gender, and sexuality studies. And started to pay a lot more attention to critical theories about power dynamics and standpoint theories about what does this situation look like, depending on whose perspective you are taking. And attended the Commission on the Status of Women at the United Nations a couple of times with the um, the university I was working for in Iowa, which was started by nuns. And so I got involved with um, the NGO Loretto at the UN because the sisters that I worked for um, at the university, who were the Sisters of Charity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, known as the BVMs, um, they asked me to take students, social work students, to the Commission on the Status of Women at the UN and try to help young women, and it wasn't specifically that I had to take female students or women students, um, but help a younger generation really understand what was going on around the world with women and their needs, um, particularly the needs of girls and the oppressions that girls felt. So when I saw this position that was newly created as um, they actually changed the title right after I took it, so it is now Minister for Women's and Gender Justice, I thought that is exactly what I have wanted. Yeah, I love that. So within your role focusing on women and gender justice, what what types of advocacy are you focusing on right now in the world? I'm sure there's a lot of reproductive justice happening (laughs) in the world, you know, What's, what's sort of the main focus of, of some of your advocacy work right now? Yes. So I started on July 1st and that was right after the Dobbs decision in which basically Roe versus Wade was um, negated and that, wow, what a time to begin working on women's justice. So I do quite a bit of work with other organizations across the country and um, within a lot within Ohio, simply because they're here and they're doing good work and I can get myself educated um, quite well, actually, by some of the agencies serving across Ohio or based in Ohio, but serving beyond. So a lot of focus on reproductive justice. And I've been working with some congregations that are focused on earning a designation as a reproductive justice or reproductive freedom congregation. 
there's a couple of different organizations that award that designation. And we've talked within the UCC about, do we want to have a designation? But we also realize we have a lot of designations. So um, what does that look like on a larger scale then when we talk about that kind of thing? I've been doing some work on some equity justice with some congregations out West that are trying to take a broad and deep look at themselves and assess the history of their communities um, in somewhat of a decolonizing way, like trying to really see what are institutions that stem from an approach of colonization and how can we turn those upside down to really be more inclusive and equitable. And that has been really fun work. Um, currently I'm working on ways to connect UCC women across the country. Mm -hmm. And so I am working on a new newsletter that I am creating that will be made available to UCC women and allies and anyone who wants to read it, quite honestly. Um, one of the things I was asked when I was being interviewed for this position is how do you define woman? And I said, I don't really think that's mine to do. If somebody wants to identify as a woman, we need all the help we can get. And I am more than happy to have an incredible diversity of women and their experiences working together to connect and to create a meaningful existence in which we can live our values. That's what I seek. That's beautiful. It's such a, I love that you provide such a broad definition of women too, and say every, every experience, every embodiment of, of that is, is welcome here and celebrated. And I'm, I'm curious for you, um, you know, we're in this series about embodiment right now. Mm -hmm. Nice. And I, I'm curious for you how the work of justice intersects with the idea of embodying our faith. So when I think of embodying our faith, I think of how do we put our faith into practice in the world? And you mentioned earlier that, you know, one of the things you really wanted to do was to work with folks who are ready to take direct action and, and get moving on some of these issues. So I'm curious if you could speak to how those things link, how does doing that advocacy work link up with really embodying and practicing our faith? I am so glad you asked that. I may not be terribly articulate as I try to put this all together. People's lives are on the line and our lives are embodied. I, you know, I constantly refer to the part of me that is flesh and bone and squishy chemicals as my container. And while, while my container is a physical thing, it holds, it holds my soul, which is beyond the physical realm of what we can understand. So they are integrally intertwined together as as far as existence on this plane Whew, am I getting too metaphysical I, I love it know. I love it <laughs> so we see people's lives on the line 
all the time, regardless of um, how pacifistic we want to be in the way we approach standing up to institutions that don't serve us or don't serve all of us. And I am meeting more and more people who have have quite honestly put their body in harm's way in order to stand up for what they believe in. And I've had to question myself about how willing am I to do that? It's one thing to passively resist and get myself arrested. It's another thing to go protest in Memphis or Louisville or Portland or Minneapolis or um, North Carolina, South Carolina. I mean, places where we just keep hearing about these horrible incidents happening. Um, And what is my role then as a white woman in doing that as I want to stand with my siblings of color and whose ethnicity might be scrutinized in a way that mine seldom is. Um, how do we, how do we really do that work knowing that we could lose our lives? I learned something that has stuck with me when I studied to become a lay associate of the nuns, the sisters that I mentioned before, I'm a lay associate in their order. So I'm, I'm um, a BVM, a blessed Virgin Mary sister, as much as my lay status will allow me. And one of the values that they, they try to lean into is about freedom. And we often struggle with that word is that freedom from, is that freedom to, to me, it became a freedom of knowing my place more in the universe and that I was free to stand up for what was right because that would, everything would be okay. That and I, and I mean in a much more spiritual way than in a physical container way. It is a freedom to do things that are scary. It is a freedom to um, speak, speak my mind, speak what I know is right, speak truth to power, even when my voice does shake. Um, to really put myself out there because in a much more long-term way, it would be okay that whatever happened to me would happen to me, but that it was for the right reasons and that it would, that, that, that would make it okay. A, A freedom to do scary things for justice is really what I have been able to incorporate somewhat into my life. Now, am I out protesting and in riot gear or whatever. No, not so much yet. I'm still trying to figure out what will this look like actively in my life. Um, but my the the way my container looks can get me a lot of privilege. And so how do I use that privilege 
to the best of my ability and not waste it. Yeah. Wow. Did I, I kind of rambled. No, that's perfect. I think, (laughs) well, it made me think scripturally about, um, I was trying to pull it up here. Uh, it made me think scripturally of Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, where Jesus says, you know, those who are willing to lose their life will save it. And how there's a freedom in that with the way you're talking about freedom, you know, there's, there's an abundance that comes when you're willing to kind of open your palms up to whatever might come and say, like you said, this container I have has a certain amount of privilege. And while my siblings who, whose gender might be different, whose race might be different while they don't have those privileges, I'm not free until they're free. So I'm going to use whatever privilege and freedom I have to, to work on behalf of, of theirs. Oh, you said that so much more eloquently than I did. Thank you. (laughs) Well, you inspired it. (laughs) Well, yeah, I just really can't, can't go on sort of humming along um, obliviously. And a lot of that has been my education, um, both formally, but a lot more informally in faith community really understanding where faith community can get involved in justice work and understanding my my affiliation with organizations that insist on that 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 mandate that basically i did not used to think of faith communities as a place where one could do justice work that just wasn't on my radar and when i started to realize the power of a of a congregation or a movement that was grounded in its values um, and how that can help carry us forward to do hard work. That is when I had sort of this aha moment about religion, because I was raised in a UCC congregation, and then I wandered away for a few decades. And then I found myself as a young adult, well, middle, middle, middle young, I don't know, in my 30s. Um starting to feel that something was missing and feeling a calling to do something more to tap into what my own needs were. Like it was almost like there was a seed starting to push out of its seed shell, whatever that thing's called inside me. And it was longing for sunshine and feeding and it couldn't figure out how to get them. And it, it needed to grow and blossom. And, you know, I had been raised raised in a way that did not acknowledge that very much, that that would be a thing that could happen to me. And probably many of us were hearing a lot of conversation about people raised by unemotionally available adults or emotionally immature parents and so on. Um, You know, my parents did the best they could and they're wonderful humans and did a lot of great work for the community, but I don't know how much that was actually nurtured actively in me. So when I started learning about these systems of injustice, which, gosh, I'm so thrilled that people much younger than when I learned it, people are learning it from from the moment they enter this planet, Um, learning about these systems and how to name them and how to try to shift them. Um, Unfortunately, some people are forced to do that because of the identity they're born into. 
um, others of us seem to have the opportunity to work from the outside as allies um, to those folks who are continually oppressed and possibly marginalized. Um, anyway, I, I just really have been so attracted since I discovered that this was a thing that could even be um, so excited about working with people of faith to make change. There's a lot of power, a lot of power with faith communities. And I think so many folks just think of being a member of a congregation or associated with a particular denomination or movement. Um, uh, I have a lot of friends who are like, I don't understand what you do. It sounds like all brainwashing. Like, really? Is that what you think of us um, in my progressive United Church of Christ home? Come, come be with us. Listen to me. You know me. You know I'm progressive. You know that I'm um, very concerned about the rights of others. And yet you aren't able to shift your own understanding of what a faith community can mean. So I think that's sort of my smaller scale goal is within um, my own circles of influence is to help people see that they can have wonderful community and do really great work with other folks who share their values and who have the same cares. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me listening to you speak about the strength of faith communities in justice work. And holding that next to the idea you spoke to earlier about how in social work, a lot of times there's um, like a moratorium on talking about spirituality. Like we can't, you can't do that. And then same thing in faith communities, right? That like, you can't talk about justice work. It's too political. And yet that's where like the meat is, right? Like (laughs) yeah, oftentimes in social work, like for me, my original understanding of social work was like the foster care system and like in hospice care, you know, the social worker who comes in and helps you figure things out. And for me, when I even think about that type of social work, there is a deep necessity to talk about spirituality within those situations, right? I, you know, I imagine kids going through foster care have some really big spiritual questions. So much of what Jesus did was um, rooted in the political. For those who are listening, my sweet cat Velcro is <laughs> going a little wild. Great name. So, <laughs> yes, but yeah, you know, there's. It's interesting to me to to hold those two tensions together. Absolutely. Uh, well, and I forget sometimes that I can't assume that everyone who identifies as United Church of Christ calls themselves a progressive. Um, I do know that we have a very progressive approach to human rights and somewhat radical at times to really consider every person worthy. Social work often does the same thing. Um, I, I grew up not understanding what it was and that it's really about getting people resources and skills help them develop the skills to live a life they value as economist Amartya Sen would say, you know, we want people to live lives they value. And so how do we 
how do we go about doing both of those things within social work as well as within faith community? I've had students over the years say things to me like, oh, I had no idea social work was so political. And which I, you know, I don't laugh at them, but I kind of giggle. I'm like, heck yeah. Anytime we're talking about spending taxpayer dollars, which is a lot of what we do. Um, anytime we're talking about people's identities and that some people get this service, but other people don't get this service based on whatever criteria we put in place. Um, we're talking politics. We're legislating people's lives. Therefore, our work is political. And I'd love to get people excited about policy work because um, that's one of the things I taught as a social work professor was a lot of social policy analysis and advocacy to change policies. And gosh, so many of them. Well, there's I don't want to dig too deeply into um, blue and red policy making and spending of tax taxpayer dollars, but we need more people trained in, I would say, progressive faith to be involved in the making of policies. And of course, I just said something like mingling church and state. Um, of course, that's not what I mean. Um, but I do want to see more people who really do value everyone's life and and um, see people as deserving rather than unworthy involved in the making of policies that affect folks' lives. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, you talk about the legislating of people's bodies and how, you know, when I make the faith connection with what Jesus did, you know, living in a marginalized community that was occupied by the Roman empire, their bodies were legislated on a certain level. Right. And our bodies, um, even in American culture, I should say, even in, in American culture are also legislated, particularly women's bodies, non-binary bodies, transgender bodies are heavily legislated. And it's because people of a certain kind of faith have enacted those legislations. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're saying about progressive people of faith coming up with, you know, a, I want to say a louder voice yeah. in the making of that legislation, I think is really important because I know for me growing up, there was a certain point where I was like, I don't, sometimes I don't want to admit that I'm Christian because of what is associated mm -hmm. with being Christian. And it was actually the woman who connected us, Amy Johnson, who said to me, she was my youth um, director at the time. She was like, why not reclaim it? Like, why not try to have a louder voice in the arena and say, look, you can't, you can't define for everyone what it means to be a person of faith and then legislate from that. Like, how can those more progressive voices play a larger role in this. And I think that's something that I have seen more and more so in the last few years, which I think is demonstrated in the creation of your position, right? That we're recognizing the need for this. We absolutely are. And Amy is so wise. And Kelsey, quite honestly, people used to ask me more, what, what are you? Meaning, what are you affiliated with the faith or what do you believe? And I would tell people I'm a reluctant Christian hmm. because 
I, I struggled with Jesus. And then my former senior pastor with whom I worked in Kansas said, Sherry, so do I. And that gave me permission to struggle more loudly with Jesus and the Bible and church as an institution and feel like I was surrounded by people who were okay with that, who were struggling with me, who were saying, how do we make sense of this event that has happened that, um, that has been so harmful. Um, what is the nature of God? But I call myself reluctant because I don't want to be associated with people that I don't think are following in the footsteps of Jesus that are exclusive and that want to curtail people's rights and existence. And so that's, I think that's my way of delineating. And I, but I, 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 and I totally agree with you. We have got to get louder. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I read that you wrote is, uh, by walking in the footsteps of Jesus, I believe that we can heal our hurting world. And I love that you say that even as you're talking about being a reluctant Christian, right. By truly walking in the footsteps of Jesus. That's how we can heal this world. I think that's probably one of the only ways we're going to be able to. And I don't, I don't know that we'll get there in my lifetime, which is probably more than half over. Um, I don't know what it'll take, but we are, we are in a worldwide spiritual crisis and maybe we have been for a lot longer than I can even imagine. Um, we've got to do something. And and so much of that is tied to economics. That we have to figure out how to disentangle that as well. And um, I said something when I was getting done with my doctorate, I said out loud to someone, I can't wait till I'm done with this so I can start learning more about economics. And then they like went, whoa, who am I? What is going on here? And and I do, I'm still trying to work on learning more about economics and what does it look like to have a world that doesn't have capitalism? as a dominant force that has its tendrils in everything, what would that look like? And that's what I don't know. I don't even know enough about it to imagine what it might look like. Um, but I know that the economy, economy that we have exists by stepping on people. And I am, I, I can't continue with that in the way that I was brought up culturally. So when I talk about living my values, a lot of that has to do with my own consumption, my household consumption, um, how I move through my day in this world. 
and honestly, a little, and very much about my work, but I also continue to teach a class online that is, um, it's called Sustainability and Social Problems. And so we look at um, what what is my personal footprint? And then how do how does my personal footprint combined with millions of other people who have a similar one affect other folks and and cause them problems? And I'm so amazed at how many of my students have never thought about their personal consumption. They think nothing of buying five bottles of water in a day. Oh, plastic water bottles are my big, make me crazy. Um, and so, you know, even if I'm only affecting 30 students a semester, that's 30 people who are waking up to some ideas that have been unfamiliar to them. And some say, oh, I'm not going to change anything I do. <laughs> well, okay, that is your choice. Um, but a lot say, I can't go back. I had, I had um, students give up things that were kind of treats for them, like uh, students gave up getting their nails done because they learned about the toxicity of um, a lot of the manicuring products for the planet, as well as for the people who were doing the work. Um, I've had students actually start to recycle, even though we know there are problems with recycling. Students walk around following their roommates turning lights out in their apartments. <laughs> um, so to me, that's that's one way to live my values is to try to take better care of the planet. Um, but I also want us to live our values when it comes to taking care of people who do or don't look like us or that we perceive to be similar or not. Yeah. Yeah. Something that you talked about earlier, um, you know, like, can we even imagine that kind of world? I've been listening to um, Lisa Sharon Harper's book, The Very Good Gospel. And she talks so much about the creation story and how the, the world that God imagined and brought into being was this world where every creature was created equal where, you know, Genesis chapter one, God created men and women in God's image and called them good. God created them. You know, it, for me, that's such a, a powerful passage. And it isn't until later after what we call the fall, right? That we, there's mm -hmm. this hierarchy created. There's this abuse of land that happens. Um, and how to imagine a world where we care for one another, to imagine a world where there's both effort and rest, um, to imagine that kind of world, I think, you know, that's, that's ultimately what Jesus wanted us to come back to <laughs> was not our way of doing things, but but God's way of doing things. And you said, you know, we won't get there in our lifetime, but that reminds me of Martin Luther King Jr.'s quote of the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And we just keep one, like you said, 30 students a semester, like we bend it a little, a little bit more. 
Exactly. Um, you just, I just realized, Kelsey, I'm wearing my t-shirt that my sister got me that is from a place in Kansas called the Garden of Eden. And it's, um, it was someone's home. It's now on like uh, some kind of folk art registry kind of thing. But um, this person basically created this living diorama outside of his home in Lucas, Kansas, this itty bitty place out in kind of North central western kansas it's flat out there um a rising plain to the west he built out of chicken wire and concrete all of these different scenes from scripture and you make me think of ecofeminism and how if if we could take a more ecofeminist approach uh that we would we would be bending that arc um you know if everything really is created equal then why are we eating animals well i'm not i'm not a vegetarian although i have been in my life how do we do that more sustainably is important to me how do we be good stewards of the earth and I think part of that has to do with the eco-feminist approach that things have to be kept in balance and that we we as humans do not have dominion over all that exists. I have students who learn about sustainable food networks um, and the power of women to be involved in those sustainable food networks and um female farming that is pretty exciting for a, a lot of these um 20 somethings who grew up on dairy farms in Wisconsin to all of a sudden really learn a little bit more about sustainable agriculture and feeding people around the world which we've just passed 8 billion people how are we going to continue? Well, we we don't even, there's nothing to continue because we're not doing it. <laughs> How are we going to take care of everybody? And part of that first comes from accepting that we need to be taking care of everybody. Right. And that's right. such a huge value of our faith. That's a hurdle that a lot of folks um, don't see. Mm. Absolutely. Well, my last question for you, Sherry, before we dive into our rapid fire is what is your hope in the work that you do? My hope is that I can connect people around the world to live their values more loudly because it's easier to do when we link arms with somebody. And if we can link our arms to help us feel stronger, then I think we can, we can unite and be a force yeah. against, against that, which wants to keep some of us down. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank well, you. Yeah. Well, are you ready for some rapid fire? Yikes. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Finish the sentence. God is an amazing way that we are connected to everything that is, has been, and ever will be. What is your favorite verse or story in the Bible today? Oh, gosh. I don't know if it's my favorite. It's probably one of my most memorable. 
um, when Solomon threatens to cut the baby in half because the two women that are both claiming to be its mother um, are are both claiming to be its mother. My mom read that to me when I was young and I was completely terrified. And um, so it sticks out to me as something, a way that that um, information can be misused. But I have another one that I think is rapidly becoming my favorite. Um, and this is, I'm going to give a little plug for my newsletter. And I do not speak Aramaic and cannot necessarily pronounce this correctly, but the new newsletter that I'm putting together for the women of the UCC and allies is um, from Mark chapter five, verse 41, I believe, um, where Jesus heals a girl who was believed to be dead. And he says, Talitha Kuom. And it means maiden or girl arise. And that has been speaking to me lately. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Girl arise. I love it. I love that. That's powerful. That's powerful. Okay. We're going to take a hard right here. If I were to walk into a party or a large gathering of people and look for you, where would I find you? my goodness you'd probably find me um in the kitchen because you know the party always moves to the kitchen but I would be in the kitchen and I would be telling stories and I would be laughing because I think I'm really funny but actually I am kind of funny and I love people and I like I'm pretty comfortable entertaining Mm -hmm. and you're right they always move to the kitchen yeah. Oh. So you'd probably find me there. Mm-hmm. Good. What is on your nightstand or your bedside table at the moment? Oh my goodness. A whole pile of books. Um, let's see. One's called nice racism. One's called tattoos on the heart by that priest who does work with homeboy industries. in I think it's Oakland. Uh, LA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somewhere in LA. What's this one? Oh, that's one my mom gave me that she thought I should read. Um, a painting that a friend did and gave to me. Um, some Kleenexes. Um, and some moisturizer. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, and a lamp. That. And a lamp. Yeah, of course. Well, we got to see to read the books. <laughs> that's right. Yes. <laughs> Uh, what do you love about Jesus? Oh my goodness. I love that Jesus knew it was going to take his life as a sacrifice to get people to wake up. And I love that he did that to me. That speaks to that freedom that I was talking about earlier um, that allows us to do things that are scary and uh, possibly painful and harmful, but certainly things that scare us. I love that about Jesus. And that, that kind of freaks me out. That's where, that's where I can get on board with Jesus. Mm -hmm. What do you know for sure? Um, I know that love is the answer 
And last question, what is filling your well right now? Oh, not enough. <laughs> what is filling my well is that my family came to visit last week. My sister and niece stayed for a week and I've been so busy. I haven't actually even been able to fully unpack since moving to Ohio. And so they helped me do some unpacking and um, they got some rest while I was doing work and just really connecting with my family, my siblings. Cause so my brother came through as well, but then he didn't stay as long connecting with my siblings as adults they would be my friends, even if they weren't my siblings and, and yeah, my family, my family and my close friends really keep me going. Yeah. What a gift. What a gift. They, that is. Yeah. I'm so lucky. And we have, it's really interesting to have these adult conversations about, about recognizing things about our family um, our friends, families, things we didn't recognize when we were 12 years old that we look back and we go, wow, I had no idea that person was, had that going on in their life or wow, why do you think mom or dad did this? Do you remember when they did this? Like just trying to look back and have some perspective. Um, I think a lot of people can't do that because it's too painful. And we were very lucky that while our family and our upbringing was not um, perfect, whose is, or free from sadness, it didn't have nearly as much trauma or sadness or speed bumps, however you want to talk about them, as so many other folks. And I think that's that's one thing that really has been nice to recognize and talk about with my adult siblings. That's beautiful. Well, thank you, Sherry, for being here and sharing some of your work and your passion. And it really comes through when you speak about it. And I just appreciate you being here. Kelsey, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. This has been a really nice conversation. I appreciate this. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Thank you so much, my friends, for being here today, for listening, for always being so willing to engage in these amazing topics. And thank you to Sherry for sharing her wisdom with us today. And of course, as always, thank you to our amazing sound producer, Brie Daniel, who just truly makes the magic happen every single week. If you would like to support our podcast, there's lots of ways to do that. If you could leave us a review, that would be amazing. Uh, follow us on social media, share an episode with a friend. If you would like to become a monthly giver or just give a one-time gift to help us support um, the work that we do here, I would love one day to be able to pay our guests. So if you want to help be a part of that, go ahead and um, sign up for that. There's a link to that in the show notes. I hope that you are doing well, my friend, and just finding God's grace wherever you go. Remember that you can sign up for weekly devotional emails. You can grab a Lent devotional 
um, on our website, again, linked in the show notes and just know wherever you go, you are so very loved. I invite you to receive this blessing as you go forth into the rest of your day, your week and your year. May you feel God's light shining upon you. May you trust that you are known and beloved and that you are so very good just as you are, just as you have been, and just as you are becoming. Go in peace, my friend, and have a beautiful rest of your day. God be with you. Amen. My friend, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so grateful for you. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. The Lady Preacher podcast is part of a nonprofit called Dancing Pastor Ministries, and you can find us online at dancingpastor.org or join the community by finding us on Facebook at Dancing Pastor Ministries. If you would like to be a part of supporting this podcast, there are many ways you can do that without giving monetarily. You can share our posts on social media, send an episode to a friend, or just leave a review. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so at dancingpastor.org slash give. My friend, you are a gift. Thank you for being here and God bless.